It's October 12th, 2008, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Today's guest is Reza Degari, a world-renowned photographer whose work has been published in National Geographic, Vanity Fair, Time, Newsweek, and the New York Times Magazine, among others. Born in Tabriz, Iran, his career began during the tumultuous times of the Iranian Revolution in the late 70s. In 1996, Reza won the Hope Prize for his work on behalf of Rwandan refugees. He has also received the Medal for Distinguished Service in Journalism from the University of Missouri, Columbia. He founded Webistan, a photo agency promoting photographers of the Middle East, and as well founded the Afghan Media and Culture Center, which has sought to teach the principles of a free press to the men and women of Afghanistan following the fall of the Taliban. There are many photographers who are called humanitarians, but there are few photographers who have earned that description for work that hasn't involved them being behind the camera. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Reza. All right, well, Reza, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, my first question for you is is about your beginnings as a photographer. I know you started taking pictures uh, when you were very young and you were inspired because at first you had wanted to become a painter. Is that right? Yes, uh, this was uh, my main intention when I was very kid. I saw like eight to twelve years old that uh, what can I find to show and to to the world what I see around me. This was my main obsession, and I thought that the paintings it looks very nice. But uh, then it's come out that it's quite a lot of works and uh, maybe even not I didn't have the talents and then uh, so I give up I give up uh, in the age of 14 and uh, suddenly comes the photography there's a story that you tell when you were about um, 16 about a woman that was working in the, in a market and it seems to have been a real important part of your, your career not just as a as a as a photographer, but as a humanitarian, can you tell us about that? Yes, this was uh, almost uh, the day that has changed the uh, whole my life. Uh, before sixteen years old, I had uh, like a totally different view of uh, my country, Iran or Persia, uh, which is called now in around Los Angeles. And my country, Iran, um, but the government, and uh, you know, I thought everything is smooth and everything's going well. There's no problem. And I have started photography, and I want to make a magazine in the in, in high school. This was this was a time that my father has moved to a city in the south of Iran, which is called Bandar Abbas. Bandar Abbas. And uh, there was, at the time, only three high schools, the whole city. And none of them had any publication. And, and actually, the whole city has no publication. 
So it's come up to my idea, oh, I can make a small magazine because coming from the capital, Tehran, where I have um, recently I've studied and I have done a lot of works in the, the high school, I thought that uh, uh, it should be easy to make a magazine. And I started my first magazine, which is called the Parwaz. Parwaz, it's meaning to fly or to soar. And the one day before publishing the first issue, the first uh, issue of the Parwaz, I was going to the fish market to take, uh, all, and I had really, I was taking this uh, fantastic um, uh, habit, which is still I have it, that I have always your camera with you. I always have a camera. And in this fish market, I saw a very old woman sitting on the ground and selling a couple of really rotten and the fish which is half broken, half destroyed, and, you know, and uh, really disgusting. And I said, oh, let's have, take pictures of uh, this old woman selling this rotten fish. When I point the camera to her, she looks to me and she said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm taking pictures. And she said, why are you taking pictures of me? And my answer was just immediately. I even didn't talk or think about it. I said, well, you know, you know, it's just to tell you a story. And then she looks back to me and he said, you want to tell my story? You have to know first my story. And sit down and I will explain to you what is my story before taking the pictures. This was my first lesson of the photojournalism that it's still, still it's available. I mean, it, it's, it's reliable and it's a real lesson. He said, let's, uh, I will tell you my story. And she said that how poor she is and how uh, you know, she's in charge of the entire family, grandchildren, and um, that's why <clears throat> she comes early morning here and uh, she roam around the boats, fisher boats, which coming from the fishing. And when they are emptying the fish, there are some fish which fell down or they threw out because something wrong. And she get them and then she gathered them and these are the fish which she's selling, mm. which was quite very, very moving story. Then she point um, a policeman, a guard over there in the market, telling me that, but you know, this man, if I don't pay half of what my income to him, he will never let me in. So I'm uh, selling this fish. I have also to give him half of my income. And for child of 16 years old that has never been exposed to this kind of bribery or has ever has always thought that the police is the, there to serve people and help people and you know and help the uh, you know the country uh, hearing this it was so amazing and I thought oh look at him he's he's a devil he's he's the real devil for me suddenly he became the the worst man I have never met in my life. How dare you can get the mo little money from this poor woman that uh, she's in charge of the whole the family and grandchildren and everything. So 
given that I was small and 16 years old and I, I, he was a policeman and he got a gun, I was not uh, going to attack him, of course. And it was not in my temperature attacking them. Then I started thinking, ah, well, the best thing would be that I, I, I can write the, the, the story in my upcoming magazine, Parvaz. And uh, it really will have an impact. And I'm sure that uh, the government and the head of the police, when they find out that uh, there are such idiots uh, reading the police clothes, they will do something. But the result was totally different. I, I write it, I publish it. And a few days later, the secret police came in the school, high school, and they arrest me. They uh, they take me to to the police station, and the secret police of the Shah, which is called Sawak at this time, and I was only 16 years old. Have written the whole story of this poor old woman in a fish market in my magazine Parvaz. Mm. Then they really start beating me and throwing out all the exemplars. They had gathered all the exemplars, almost 30, 35 of them, and beating me with them and throwing them to me and uh, telling me, don't touch any more to this. You know? And uh, obviously this was photography, was journalism, was information and everything that they don't want. So this was the beginning of the whole thing, actually. Mm. Why, what was, a lot of people, particularly when living under, you know, such a regime, would would decide not to. They would listen to those authorities and not pick up a camera and desire to, to continue to take, to tell stories. What pushed you on to, to do that? Because that wasn't the last time that you encountered uh, problems with the authorities. Well, first of all, uh, the most important things for me in all what I'm doing, it was more related uh, to uh, you know helping people or connecting people together, and knowing the people myself, and uh, um, explaining the stories to everybody. And I love storytelling, and, uh, and you know I love to see everybody. Uh, having uh, food and clothes and nobody is poor or homeless. This is, you know, the family kids. This was all my life. And uh, um, being arrested or putting in prison or whatever, it was not my real concern. You're too young. It's not your concern. You just go for it. Mm. The, especially when you have a very specific goal, which is... Um, I mean, at the time in the 80s was, uh, you know, the, the, the all um, everything related peace and love and Buddhism and all those things. You know. So this was the most important thing is that never give up. During the time of the of the fall of the Shah and the rise of, uh, of you know, of the revolution, that was the time when you became. Um, a professional photojournalist. How did how did that happen? Because I know you encountered some um, photojournalists that were that were in your country at the time. But how did that 
What were the circumstances that led to you becoming a, a professional photojournalist? <clears throat> the circumstance that became a photojournalist was that um, to, during my study, uh, when I finished high school, I had to go to university. This was the how everybody and all the fathers and family and they went to the children to go to university and educated and you know so I went to university and I studied architecture and I became an architect uh, then um, in meantime um, trying to do the same things that I was doing before on the ground but this was before it was like uh, small size statues of the photographer or pictures that was shown you know so I started another things another things that was how I can use photography uh, being witness to the whole story and tell the stories of the people and then this was how I decided um, going to the poor part of the Iran and, uh, uh, you know, getting the pictures of the poor people and um, showing them by clandestine because otherwise the police would be arrest you and, you know, kick you out and putting them on the walls of the university night times and this was like the cat and mouse was going on for a couple of years that uh, when they come and they arrest me and uh, the police finally find me who I was and who was putting those pictures and uh, I was um, put another I mean I was I said another times this time but uh, for, for for three years three years when it was 22 years till 25 years uh, being in prison and the torture, especially a lot, day and night, uh, because they were asking me uh, who are my other friends, and I helped me to put these pictures and print it, and and I was saying that you know I'm the only one. There's no friends and no brothers that was helping me. I'm the only one doing it uh, very uh, clandestine and. Uh, that was it. Anyway, the whole thing takes like three years before they let me out. This was the... the, the when I came out, it was already uh, turmoil in the Iran community, in Iranian people. They were coming out and, and shouting. And uh, But I have decided to continue as an architect. So I was... Uh, sitting in uh, architect uh, office and working as an architect. I mean, tra um, trainings and getting uh, work done. And then when I heard this demonstration going on, this people demonstrating, it was unbelievable at those years to see people demonstrating and the police doesn't, you know, react to them. It was just amazing, impossible. And uh, one day, when I saw this happening and uh, start looking through the window, 
to the street what was happening. And I saw a group of the students just, uh, um, you know, demonstrating and shouting against the regime and against Shah and running away. And at this exact moment, the two army cars came and they blocked the street. And all this happened very quick. And they started shooting to the students. Some of them fell down, some of them running. And one of them I saw, he didn't run away immediately. He stayed there. He changed the place a couple of times, and he, he had an eye to them. Uh, with the, all this noise coming, and finally, when the noise came, it was it was tanks, and there was tanks after tanks, and the army, and you know. So this was the beginning of my thought, saying that. Wait a minute. I'm. I have to go take pictures. You know something too, because between those students with running, there was a photographer. Mm-hmm. Also, one of them has a camera, and um, having this camera, it shows me oh something happening in your country. There's change happening. Demonstration. Is what you don't go out and take pictures. And this was how I started going there and. Uh, uh, taking photographs and uh, uh, for three days I got from my office and then three days it's now 30 years which is going that's how I started mm. really. it must have been an amazing experience to to be taking pictures within your own country and discovering that there was an audience for those images outside of Iran that all over the world people were having an opportunity to to view your images, what impact did that have uh, on you, not only as a as a photographer but as a as a citizen of, of Iran? Well, in in reality, um, when the pictures are published in the foreign countries and you are working over there, you don't know, you don't see much of them, you don't know what's going on, what's happening. You know. It's after when you meet people that they said, oh, they were influenced by your works and they have seen it and they like it or they, or they dislike it, and but that's what they learned. And it's come after publication normally. And if, if you are traveling or you're in another country, you will not get it. But the most important moment was when you start... Uh, Showing your photographs to people around you, your friends, you know, after after you have passing through this crisis of 13 to 15 years old, sometimes that you don't like photography when you start showing it. And, um, well, you know, you have to like yourself, the subject, uh, and study and understand it, so... Uh, it can become uh, it can influence people if you don't know it it will not happen one of the things that's often said is that um, when it comes to at least the western media that many of the photographers come from Europe and the United States and then they are sent off to you know countries in Asia in the Middle East and South America to document events particularly you know moments of of crisis Mm -hmm. How did you see your own perspective as compared to the work that was being produced by other photographers? Did did the work being produced by people like you and, and yourself um, have something 
more to say that wasn't being told by majority of photojournalists that were out there? Uh, there's two aspects of the, uh, being a photographer from the country uh, and covering the or, or from the same culture, and uh, because sometimes it is not the country that is matter; it's the culture also is important. But, you know, being from the same culture or the same country. So, um, yeah, uh, it is very helpful and uh, healthy uh, being uh, or assigning the photographer which they are sitting in the same city or surrounding place or the same country or, you know, or, you know this is the best thing, I believe. And that's why uh, looking to a country through the peoples of the same country, it always has more value for me than just sending other people to go and see what's going on and uh, find, you know, call us. That's it. And I think that was part of the part of the spirit that, that um, inspired you to begin your own photo agency with some other photographers. Tell tell us about how that uh, how that all came together and what purpose uh, you thought it would it would serve in the in the in the greater community. Are you coming about Webistan? Calling uh, right, talking about yes. Webistan? Yes, yes. Uh, Webistan is a photo agency. First of all, I was looking for a name and uh, to create my own photo agency, just uh, taking care of my photographs. Uh, then little by little I find that well, you know, you can bring a lot of photographers. And uh, but I was uh, more looking for the photographer that they are from the same country. I mean, their the, the own country, their own culture. The, they're talking about their own stories. And what one of the things that I'm real curious about when I when I look at your images, you've you've covered a lot of of conflicts, you know, uh, in in Afghanistan and in, and in other countries. But there's a certain level of um, of humanity that comes with the images. They're not the typical images that you think of when you think of war and, and violent conflict. How important is that to you in terms of what you are trying to express in, in your photographs? You know, even if I extensively... I was um, covering the wars and uh, consequences of the war. I was not always going for the picture that almost all the photographers they go. Just uh, you know, where is the blood and where is the destruction and uh, what's happened and who was assassinated uh, when the bombs came came out. And mostly, very clearly, I have asked people just you know. I'm not. I'm not interested going where the, on the photography in the same scene that everybody is coming to photograph. For me, what is important is the consequence of the war, and not the war itself. This was making the whole difference on my works. Then uh, helped me also when I came to National Geographic that I was a little more, uh, let's say, you know, culturally. Um, different than them they were mm -hmm. that's what helped
And with your with your work um, at the National Geographic, how did you find that experience? Uh, that's that's a, a publication that many people aspire to 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 shoot for. But I was wondering what opportunities it provided you in terms of you being able to express your particular passion for humanity through through your photographs. But uh, when I came in National Geographic first time, it was in 1991, and they had asked me to do the story on Cairo, and uh, I talked to them and I said, you know, that I'm a, from a news background and I'm not the typical. At the time in 1981, it was like tw 20 years ago. Uh, I, I'm not considering myself as a typical National Geographic photographer, and they said me, well, you know. Tom Kennedy was the picture editor at the time. Direct, no, not picture editor, sorry. Tom Kennedy was the director of photography, and he gave me a lot of confidence. He said that, you know, Reza, you should do whatever you think is good, and then whatever you think is right about Cairo, and we want to see Cairo through your eyes. And this was a totally opening for me to understand that, uh, wow, what an incredible magazine, what an incredible story. Uh, they're offering me uh, carte blanche and uh, I can go wherever I want and uh, whatever I do. So this was the beginning of the, my, my works uh, with National Geographic, which is an ongoing project now. Uh, I mean, uh, it's going on and uh, I have done like maybe 15 stories for them from this time. But um, whatever, when you look at my photographs, they're quite deeply... Uh, has the social values and uh, conservation values, environmental, political, you know, there's a lot of things on it, on, mm. on my phone, which is not 100% uh, handhold and uh, it's, uh, you know, like, but it's not the old-fashioned either. One of the interesting things, I think, one of the things I, I, when people think of a photojournalist, partic particularly one who's covered wars, the romantic image is often of, you know, the lone figure, you know, who's trampsing around from country to country, making an image with no real connection to any particular place. But, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. during your time, you were raising a family, you were married, you had kids. And I'm wondering how your experiences um, traveling around the world, seeing the things that you did, impact the way you saw your role in your your own family and i hope it's not too personal but but i i, I think it's kind of important to hear uh, a photographer who who does the kind of work that you do but also you know has been able to maintain and and, and raise a family well first of all It's true that it's very difficult work, especially covering the wars and the conflict and the traveling is always and uh, being far and being in a situation, dangerous situation, and you you don't know if you're going to make it and uh, or are you the next uh, victim or you are the next guy that is going to be killed. You know, it's always like this in the wars and conflict. Uh, but I believe that it shouldn't... Uh, um, give the excuse for the people that for some reason they don't want a marriage uh, they don't do it because this is the 
important, I think, that uh, you can understand the suffering of the children if you have your own children. You can, you know, uh, this is very important for me, and I understand this when I had my children, even if I was working a lot with the children before, but when I had my first children, I really understand the, the difference you make and what is the meaning of the having a child or, you know, when he's crying or whatever, you know. So, it helped me more actually being uh, more deep and uh, more understanding of the situation. But it's come with a price also. You have eight, nine months a year out and you don't see your ch children really growing and then... Uh, you know, there is always a middle a middle way to work in the both sides, which we are trying to do. Mm. Tell me about the organization that you started. Uh, it's I think it's pronounced AINA, Afghan Media and Culture Center. Um, yes. I think that's a phenomenal uh, thing that you began. But tell our listeners about what it is and what role it's serving in 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 the country and in the community in Afghanistan and elsewhere? I I think that one of the works of photographer, of course, being witness, one of them is uh, explaining to the world what is it and ex expressing themselves and making connection. But also, like all the humans, when you get something from the community, you have to give back. Uh... Sometimes uh, some of my friend photographers, they forgot that uh, even if they have been in a remote village and then take pictures of a woman and it's, it's already on an advertising page, it is not meaning that they didn't know it, but because their names is not established, so they don't get copyright, you know. Mm. You know what I mean? So it is the most important thing, I believe, that we should help the local people to explain to the world and talk to the world through their own eyes, through their own tools, through their own materials. And when I realized that um, we are not helping a lot of people in need uh, because we think that the only need that uh, those people they have, it's just food and shelter, bed and bread after the wars, but in reality, they need um, communications, they need the t cinema, they need the magazine, they need, you know, the radio programs that can help them to come out of the circle of the violence. Right? Absolutely. So, that was the main reason. I thought that, well, uh, when the war is happening, it's... Uh, uh, the main destruction is normally the destruction of the houses and the buildings and the human bodies that are destroyed. But this is not the real destruction. The, the real destruction is invisible to eye. The real destruction is the uh, uh, destruction of soul, destruction of culture. You know, and we don't really go for healing them. We just make them some place to sleep if they can, and uh, some uh, you know, some fruits or whatever we give them. And I said we have done our job, but in reality, sometimes it is not even helping the job because 
by giving a shelter and building shelter and a school for the children or people that they're only looking for revenging their families or their people and it's even sometimes more devastating to some of those humanitarian help. Mm-hmm. That was how I thought that um, what would be the answer, how we should proceed. And we are in the same project now, working, and uh, some people were brought in, some people yes, some people no. I might have to know... When I find out about this, I thought that the 21st century need a new humanitarian organization, maybe. So uh, we really need to to, to think about uh, uh, creating a new one, a different one. And uh, that was how um come to idea of the, what is need is that the local people they should talk to themselves, local t- people. They became their own psychotherapist. In the same way that when in the uh, U.S. schools a shooting happening, we send ambulance and we send the um, police, and then we send a bunch of the psychotherapists to talk to the children for the trauma and everything. But we don't do it in the other countries. We just go there and build a couple of schools and. Uh, we should destroy it after, and then a couple of hospitals for children, we said. And then, you know, this kind of the things that sometimes even doesn't work. Yeah, and, and to uh, clarify for, for listeners, what you're doing through through the organization is teaching them to use photography and videography and storytelling to tell their own stories. Absolutely. the whole With the old existing tools from graphic design to photography to computer to um, mobile cinema, to photo department, to video department, you know, the children's magazine. And the most amazing thing is that, that the children's magazine, which I started in Kabul in 2002, it's also called Parvaz, which is meaning to fly or to soar. This is the name of the, the my first magazine when I was 16 years old. Mm. The same now, now. Uh, we had like 300,000 copies published uh, and sent around and helped the children education and so AINA uh, is the let's say multimedia institute of Afghanistan Uh, that's where now the people that uh, they became important in the TV radio shows and uh, or surroundings and or girls which has uh, other jobs that they, they came and they train and they uh, whenever you you have trained in Aina and you go to find a place you know that you have a guaranteed job not not talking about you I know that, I mean you know what I'm meaning absolutely and and I think one of the amazing things is that the opportunities that you're providing for for women uh, to be able to um, you know, create a voice not only for 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 themselves individually, but for a whole group of people that otherwise might never have had an opportunity to be able to express themselves and 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 their lives. Absolutely, and this is the most important thing that we were able to do. Not only training them and bring a lot of women on training courses, not only trainings, but also giving them the opportunity to. Uh, you know, to, to, to create a magazine, to create radio, to become a photographer or videographer, 
And this is the most important thing. They are the one that they became the psychotropists after their own culture, their own community. They talk to them and they understand them and they make films and they show and they make radio show and, you know, they write it. This is the harder. I believe that uh, Aina is really going to, in the future, to help uh, to shape differently the, the, some places and some countries and some, maybe, you know, more, some reasons. Well, the last question that I, I ask mm-hmm. uh, my guests is I ask them to recommend another photographer who they think uh, our listeners should find out more about and explore. So who would that be for you and why? Well, I don't know if you, my friend uh, Salgado, have you met them or interviewed them? Oh, no, that's a wonderful suggestion. Why, why, do, you, uh, why do you see him as a, as a good example of, of someone that people should uh, check out? What inspires you about his work? Oh, well, he's a, first of all, he's a good friend of mine. And the second is that uh, he takes about the issues that are important for the humanity, for the world, for the history. And uh, another option is that, you know, he he really takes uh, actions and uh, he makes his own foundation and helping local people. He, he, that's the reason. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It's been a real pleasure, a real pleasure to speak. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for another episode. For those of you hearing this show before October 25th, 2008, take a look at the link that I have for the Better Photos Summit, which will be held on that date in Monterey, California, where I'll be one of the speakers. So hopefully I'll I'll meet some of you there. If you have any other comments or suggestions about the show, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com photocastnetwork.com